The Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition, is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips. From the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Look at the view. It's hazy, but we are surrounded by mirrors. Towers. Reaching for the sky. I'm about to have my lunch, and to my right is the world's tallest building. And straight in front of you is a wonderful array of... Are they roses? Yes, I think so. I don't They're very pink and red. We're sitting in the La Rose restaurant in the Address Fountain Views Hotel. We're very lucky that we're also staying in that big, big, big hotel over there that we can see, the Address Downtown. And despite my request to put David on the 65th floor, <laughs> we're only on the 10th floor. We're in Dubai, downtown, surrounded by construction. I'm not sure if you can hear that in the background or not. This is a city, an emirate that has, over the last 30 years, changed beyond belief. Where we are located right now was desert. And that was all. And of all the trips that I think we've been talking about and planning since we started this podcast, this is the one that I've really wanted to do. This is a sign of the last 18 months of history. The fact that we, as Israeli citizens, have been able to take advantage of the fabulous Abraham Accords, the peace with the United Arab Emirates, with Morocco, with Bahrain, and with Sudan. Although I don't think we can go to Sudan yet, but it's on its way. We're getting there. And more uh, and more of those barriers of the last 70 years are coming down. Before lunch, I was in the lobby of the address downtown, and there was the most amazing scene. There was a Haredi guy, an ultra-Orthodox man, in his full garb, with his curls behind his ears, on his phone, saying, Inshallah, it will happen. Then a local Emirati came, not in full dress, he had a check suit on, and the two of them were hugging in the lobby. And it's just a sign that in 18 months we've gone from having no relationship with the United Emirates to, I think, truly calling them friends. This is most unlike you and me. We've been recording now for about three minutes and we haven't made a joke. We haven't poked fun at anything. And we've not done a quiz question. <laughs> you want to do a quiz question now? Well, I've got no jokes. I, my, my jokes have run dry. <laughs> but before the quiz question, what are we going to do in the next few days? We are very, very grateful to our hosts. Dubai's Department of Tourism and Commerce Marketing who have graciously opened their doors for us to help Israelis and other listeners to understand more about this kingdom and to tell you about some of the wonderful facilities that are here. We are by no means going to be showing you everything. It would be absolutely impossible. But here are some of the highlights. Our first day is going to be spent at Expo. We've been planning this trip, as I said, for quite a while. And the hope was to come here around three months ago. But with Omicron and then with me catching COVID, 
uh, we've managed to make it for the last two days of Expo. So you'll get to hear about Expo, but by the time you arrive, it will be an empty field, um, or wh whatever they're going to do with it. I mean, we're going to see some amazing buildings that have been put up for a six-month exhibition. But I, I would assume they're going to leave some of the key buildings up. Maybe we'll find out. Yes, and we're going to go up a viewing tower so we can see the whole site. Uh, more uh, heights. We're also going up the, the famed frame, which is, imagine a picture frame with no middle, but it's 150 metres tall, I think. So we're going up that and it has a glass bottom on the top. Sat in the middle of the Zabil Park. So you have this bit of greenery amongst the skyscrapers and then a picture frame in the middle of it all. Okay, before we give everything away, we're going to be golfing. We're going to be doing some action speed. Oh, God. <laughs> I think I'd rather do the heights. Uh, yeah, the, between the two of us, we've got every possible Jewish uh, phobia that, there, that exists. We'll be doing lots of stuff, lots of food, and we want you to come along and join us. And uh, maybe this will help you think about booking your next trip to Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. Mark. Quiz question time. Absolutely. One of the things Dubai is famed for is its love of horse racing. And Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, who is the ruler of Dubai, he has a particular love of horse racing. Uh, he owns a very famous and very large stable of horses, headquartered in Newmarket in England, but based in Dubai. Can you tell me the name of the horse racing stable? Lots and lots to come. Let's get a quick message first. Ever wish there was a Jewish trip advisor? Visit worldjewishtravel.org for a one-stop shop to plan your Jewish cultural vacation at destinations around the world. Find local tours and guides, discover authentic restaurants and boutique hotels, all with a Jewish story to tell. Don't miss events with our unique cultural calendar, or simply absorb a city's Jewish story with our blogs and travel ebooks. Start your journey at worldjewishtravel.org. David, David, we're going up. <laughs> we're going up very quickly, quicker than we were told. Yes, and, and we're going round. We're now at the expo. It's the World Expo in Dubai 2020. Of course, because of COVID, it was put off by a couple of uh, years. It's coming to a close now. It's been six months. Yes, it closes tomorrow. Johnny come lately. Yes. So all of the tips we give you for Expo are not going to be worth much. But first of all, a lot of this you can see on YouTube and so on. And the millions, how many millions are we talking? There have been, I think, 21 million visitors here in six months in six months it's absolutely incredible but as we're touring around and i should mention for example that there are each country in the world has its own pavilion so we can see in front of us the malaysian pavilion there's an israeli pavilion somewhere around as well which maybe we'll get to later there's on. there's a sports stadium as well uh, a canadian pavilion uh, but i think what's going to be interesting about this place is what comes afterwards i think the total investment here has been something around seven billion dollars and years and years in the making and the exhibition was six months so what they are doing here afterwards is some of the pavilions are going down but this is going to become a business park a residential area and they're going to try and make it as sustainable as possible they're also talking about calling it the 15 minute city so that anybody who lives here anything that they could possibly need in their life will be within a 15 minute drive of this location we're in the Israel Pavilion at Expo. We've just been treated to a multiple choice test outside. 
And now we've come to the 360 degree DJ party. There are lots of people in here from around the world. There are plenty of Middle Easterners, people from India and from Europe and further afield. And it's nice again, as we were saying, to see so many people coming, seeing something about Israel. This is just a party. Let's hear what the DJ has for us right now. There we go. Follow the beat. This is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at markdavidpod or mail us at markdavidpod at gmail.com. Night is coming, the sun has set. Completely different feel, vibe here at the expo much calmer, quieter. It got very humid mid-afternoon. Jazz music in the background, it's more gentle. Over there to my left is the UAE Pavilion, built in the shape of a falcon, the national bird of the United Arab Emirates. We've been to three pavilions in these closing days of Expo. There are queues everywhere. Japan was sold out for the day. We managed to see the Saudi Pavilion, the Israeli Pavilion, and the Ukrainian Pavilion the Ukrainian pavilion with poignant messages about the current war with Russia. The Saudi pavilion may be a sign of hope that we as people from Israel walking around in Dubai and potentially going to see Saudi Arabia in the future as well. Good morning from a lot higher than yesterday. We've both been very brave. I have to say, Mark's been so far braver than me. We're 150 meters, which is what? Close to 500 feet? Roughly, yeah. Up in the sky on a picture frame. Yes, this is the Dubai frame. It sits in the beautiful Park Zabil in the center of Dubai. On either side at the top, beautifully crafted glass. And through the middle of the frame is a glass walkway. And if you look down, you can see 150 meters down into the park. This is, if you will, a picture frame, hence the word frame, without the canvas inside. So imagine a massive rectangle pointing straight up into the sky, 500 feet. That's where we are. As you all know by now, I'm petrified of heights. I'm going to walk on the glass. I'm going to laugh. And I'm going to look down. Come on, come on, come on. We're going to do this. David, you can do this. Oh, God. Oh, it goes. Oh, that's really scary. No, I don't. I don't think I can. Come on. Come with me, David. No, I Hold oh, my hand. Foot. No, one foot. One no, foot. No. no, 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 no. No, seriously. <laughs> I can't do this. I'll, I'll run across. Okay. I'm not allowed to Three, run. Three, two, one, oh, oh, run. God, no oh, jumping. God, oh, God, God, God. No, I went really dizzy. There you go. I just went really, now, really dizzy. No, on, no, I'm not On the way back. back, looking down. No. No, come no, on. No, no, no. Look, no. Go, go there. It's gone. It's gone no, okay. I can't because it's going to reappear. What's happening is the glass is playing tricks. So the glass is goes milky, so yeah. you can't see through it. It goes opaque. And then suddenly it opens up and you see what's below, and that I can't do. Maybe look above, because above there is this whole pathway of lights that change colour, and then look down. Anyway, we'll fight about this with the microphones turned off. This is the frame, try it out when you come to Dubai.
You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast with Mark Gordon and David Harris, brought to you live-ish from Dubai. Now, I've got a definition of the word museum here, Mark, and it says a museum is a building in which objects of historical, scientific, artistic or cultural interest are stored and exhibited. My idea of a museum is looking at things from years gone by, even things that are, well, tens of millions of years old dinosaurs where we are now with that definition you're going to have to ask for your money back because (laughs) there is nothing historical here at all we've come to a place called the museum of the future have we come or are we coming tomorrow Uh, we're gonna go all surrealistic surrealistic surrealist surrealist i don't know weird absolutely (laughs) wasn't there some joke about how many surrealists does it take to change a light bulb fish exactly anyway We're about to take an incredible journey. This is the sort of museum that you can spend hours. And if you're bringing kids, it's not the sort of place where a kid is going to hang around and say, ah, do we have to look at a pyramid or a stuffed lion or something like that? As Expo closes, this is the new trump card of Dubai tourism, the museum of the future. As you drive down the road, you will see this building stand out. We were debating what it looked like on the way. It's a bagel, it's a pretzel, it's an eye, it's covered in Arabic. Inside, it's just completely different. We're just in the atrium. We saw what looked like a flying fish above our heads a little bit earlier on, flying around. No wires. We happened to be down in the parking lot getting our our security approval as journalists. And I said to the woman jokingly, oh, is this the car of the future? And she said, no, that's on the second floor. This is your captain speaking. I'd like to welcome you all aboard today's spaceflight to OSS Hope. It's a beautiful day, so we're expecting a spectacular journey. Please prepare for launch in just a few moments. So this is the laboratory. This is where we do ecological impact simulations, growing genetically modified plants and trees using the DNA codes that you just saw in the library. We're doing this in hopes to repair damage done to the environment through the years. So they will undergo different environmental impact tests, such as fire resistance testing and carbon impact testing. The museum has a mix of exhibits, big focus on environment, but also about being in touch with yourself, whether it's exercise, whether it's feeling, sense of smell and so on. And right here, they're talking about a sense of ground. I'm going to stand between two massive gongs and let's see if you can hear the effect. Uh, So this area is all about grounding, so it's a similar concept to sound healing. So you can stand in the center, some people can feel the vibration of the gongs, but it's more about the sound that resonates with us that makes us feel more relaxed and grounded. The museum of the future is in the past. (laughs) We've done the tour. One of the most outstanding architectural museums I've seen, if not the most. The vision of the architect is short-sighted uh, <laughs> 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 uh, it is a stunning museum spacious very clearly laid out the calligraphy uh, which is part of the architecture is magnificent the top two floors the science fictiony bit which hopefully we played a little bit of that for you 
which they would say is science fact. It's really interesting. It's talking about how we can capture the sun's solar power and send it back from space to Earth. Actually, we shouldn't go into too much more otherwise. No, it deals with the future of energy, the future of the environment, the human senses. And then there's a flaw all about tomorrow's technology today. And if you've got kids under the age of 10, dump them off on the first floor. First floor, whole play area. People can look after them for you whilst you wander and have fun. Dubai Fact File. Dubai International Airport is a major international hub for Emirates and Fly Dubai. Emirates flies direct to Houston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, Seattle, Washington DC, Boston, Chicago, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Newark, as well as Cape Town, Johannesburg, Toronto, London, Manchester, and if Emirates doesn't fly there, Fly Dubai probably does. You can fly to Dubai from Tel Aviv with Fly Dubai, El Al, Arkea, Israel, and from June 2022 with Emirates. Dubai International is a 15-minute drive from downtown. There's a $7 flag charge from the airport. The charge for each kilometre is around 53 cents. Buses arrive and leave from stands opposite Terminals 1, 2 and 3. Dubai International, DXB, has two stations on the Dubai Metro. Dubai has more than 100 five-star hotels. Whilst recording this podcast, we stayed at the Address Downtown Hotel. One US dollar will buy you 3.67 dirham as of April 2022. Dubai has a desert climate. Summer is usually the end of April until the beginning of October. Temperatures can reach above 40 degrees Celsius or 104 Fahrenheit in the high season. Maximum temperatures during winter are around 22 Celsius or 71 degrees Fahrenheit. According to 50 Best, 11 of the top 20 best restaurants in the Middle East North Africa region are found in Dubai. Dubai is home to excellent inexpensive Indian cuisine in areas such as Bur Dubai, including a large number of vegetarian and vegan outlets. In two podcast time, we'll be looking at Dubai's burgeoning kosher food scene. For more information about kosher food, visit Chabad.ae. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. David, you know how you love heights <laughs> and that we went up the Dubai frame that was 150 meters? Absolutely. I was a good boy. I was brave. Welcome to the Burj Al Arab. We're in the atrium, which is 180 meters high. But and guess where we're going? Are we going all the way to the top? <laughs> we're going all oh, the way to the top. Sake. Let's just describe what we are looking at. This is one of the world's iconic hotels. And people use the word iconic all too often. But in this case, before the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world existed, this was the symbol of Dubai. It's that hotel that looks like the sail of a sailing boat that used to ply the seas between the Emirates and India. They say that five star is luxury. The Burj Al Arab is supposedly seven star. And you can see it in the atrium here. There is blue paint everywhere representing the sky and gold. Gold everywhere. Opulence, luxury, 
It's a wonderful thing. Our guide today is Tyrone. Let's have a quick listen to a bit of the information that he gives us along our journey through this hotel. So each suite in Bredo Arab, it spans over two floors, making this floor the 50th floor of Bredo Arab. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 50th floor of the hotel. So Bredo Arab is 321 meters tall and it stands 280 meters of the mainland, which is the Jumeirah Beach. Two years of construction was spent on the island only, and then three years on the hotel, making it five in total. First opened its doors on the 2nd of December in 1999. And some of the furniture you will see today has not been changed since 21 years. So it is still as original as it was, where we constantly can, uh, change carpets from the moment they start wearing out but everything else has remained the same. So if you're ready, we can proceed to the most exclusive part in the hotel. The Royal Suite. This is where head of states, many presidents and celebrities have often just to stay when they visit Dubai. And this is also the biggest suite that we have in the hotel as it stretches over 780 square meters just for one suite. And as well, when you are staying in this suite, you get your own private butler as well as your own private chef. And as well, when you're arriving to the suite, one of those Rolls Royce cars you see parked outside is exactly what they're for. So the moment you book the Royal Suite, one of those Rolls Royce cars is parked outside for you to use for your entire stay. But if you'd like to make it even more impressive, we can arrange for you to arrive, depart, or pick up your friends from the airport using a helicopter at any time of the day as per your requests and this suite costs an average price of around $25,000 per night. We're walking inside now to the gosh oh my gosh. My name is Roman and I'll be your suite butler throughout your journey so it's my pleasure to make you feel like a superstar. I love the golden marble staircase the 24 karat gold leaf on the ceilings and the walls and even your own private elevator. It's all designed to amaze you and your guests. This is uh, quite something. Imagine jesters from uh, hundreds of years ago at the royal courts of Europe. That's kind of the theme here, and certainly in terms of the color blends of the golds and the reds together. There are cushions with pinks on. And here in the royal suite, we have many antiques and artworks from all over the globe. Take a look at the Japanese screen, dates back to 19th century, which is more than 200 years old. Mark throughout the day has been using the word opulence. He and I are now taking a shower together. In a 24 karat gold shower in the Queen's bedroom. We're in the royal suite at the Burj Al Arab. It's now a museum over the last year. There are still presidential suites and so on. But our wonderful guide, who you've already heard from, Roman, has already run the bubble bath for us. We're surrounded by Hermes perfumes and scents. I don't know about the bed, though, with that mirror above. You distract Roman. I'm going to try and take one of those taps. <laughs> My name is Farida Ahmed and I am one of the Frying Pan sisters. Arva and I started Frying Pan Adventures nine years ago with the primary objective of showcasing hidden culinary gems 
but from the older side of the city. And basically our small team, what we get to do is we get to feed people for a living without having to do any of the cooking or the cleaning. I know it was David and my decision to do an Indian food tour, but why are you offering Indian food tours in Dubai as opposed to Dubai food tours? So we do have a Middle Eastern and a Dubai souks food tour as well, but it made sense to offer an Indian food tour because the Indian community, the Indian diaspora has been coming to this region and calling this region home since I want to say the mid 1800s, if not before that. And therefore the Indian culinary theme runs through the heart of Dubai. And it is one of the oldest culinary cultures present in the city alongside the native indigenous Emirati cuisine and of course, Iranian food. You've brought us to, and I'm not going to be unkind here, it isn't a glamorous five-star no. restaurant. It, it looks no. a bit like a market. It does, uh, doesn't it? And we're sat in the middle of the market. I see a sign saying Veg World. Yes. Tell me about this place. So this little restaurant is situated in, like you said, a marketplace. But this is the quirky side of old Dubai. A lot of the restaurants that we're going to be visiting this evening they are not glamorous, they're not glitzy, but what they lack in glitz and glam, they make up for in some really bold, authentic, ethnic and delicious flavors. And that is how we curate these stores to feature just these eccentric little spots. It's flavor first and not image. It's always flavor first. We finished the wonderful chats and then I saw we were going to a Parisian cafe on the menu. It's not quite a Parisian cafe. It's not quite a Parisian cafe. I don't blame you for you know thinking it is. It's actually Farisien Close. cafeteria. <laughs> what kind of food is this? This little cafeteria specializes in one thing and one thing only, deep fried goodies. They do deep fried Indian style falafel, samosa and aloo bhonda or aloo vara. And what we're going to get are their legendary samosas. What is a samosa? A lot of people tend to think that samosas are Indian in origin, but food historians will tell you that the Hindi word samosa actually comes from a Farsi word, sambusaj. So it's safe to assume that samosas originated in Persia and then came into India with the wave of Muslim conquerors that took over the northern part. And from the 10th to the 13th century, they became really popular. They started being featured on the royal menus. Poets have written poetry about samosas even. This samosa that we've just had is basically a triangle of pastry which is stuffed with caramelized onions, green peas and deep fried. And I can see on the board there that some of the samosas are actually in sandwiches? Yes. So you could order the samosa in a sandwich form, which basically means they would take the pita bread cubs, they'd smush the deep fried treat into the bread, add a little bit of salad, that lovely coriander-based green chutney to give it a pop. So carbs in carbs. Mm, I think I'm going to have to hand over to David soon because I'm, I'm just going to be eating and eating. I'm not able to use a microphone <laughs> soon. <laughs> We have moved restaurants again. Part of a walking tour is you have to keep walking. This is Sangita. Tell us about Sangita. 
So Sanguita is a chain of restaurants that now spans eight countries, but its roots are in the South Indian state of Tamil Nadu or Tamil Nadu. And this restaurant specializes in South Indian vegetarian cuisine. And for those listeners in England, the English branch is in Hounslow in London. So I know you've had South Indian food before. Uh, have you had a vada? What is it? So a vada, well in Tamil Nadu we say vade, is a South Indian savory donut and it's gluten free. This is the batter. What we're going to have is a medu vada, a plain vada. This batter is made from split black lentils and then it's seasoned with cumin seeds, green chilies and a little bit of ginger. You get other kinds of vada, some that are made with spinach, some with other kinds of lentils or even black pepper corns. After a very fine dinner of dosa, we obviously went shopping because that's what you do on a food tour and we are laden down with bags of Indian produce and we've now come to the Sindh Punjab Sweet and Juice Centre. Yes. What are we going to eat here because I see dinner again even though we've eaten dinner it is just a snack mark and what i've ordered for you is the famous sin punjab paneer tikka which is made with fresh paneer and sin punjab makes its own paneer in-house that has been grilled in a nice tangy marinade with slivers of bell peppers and onions a couple of minutes ago when we arrived, you were holding a very large stick. <laughs> the uh, ganna. The uh, sugar cane. Sugar cane. And we were about to have... Sugar cane juice with lots of ice, lime juice and ginger, just the way we Indians love to drink it. You were telling us where sugar came from. Food historians believe, Indian food historians believe, that sugar was actually first invented in India. The English word sugar the French word sucre and even the Arabic word sukkar all stem from a Sanskrit word sharkara. Finally, with legs dropping, sated, full and a big smile on our faces, we've come to the last stop on the Frying Pan Adventures tour culinary Indian with our wonderful host Farida Ahmed. For many older people listening to this, if they hear the word Lassie, forgive me, they will be thinking of a movie with a dog. <laughs> but for you, Lassie means something completely different. For us, Lassie is actually a beverage made out of yogurt. You can have a salted Lassie, you can have a sweet Lassie, you can have a mango Lassie or even a saffron myriad of flavors we're going to get to try a matka lassi which is a lassi that has been set in an unglazed earthenware pot you have tremendous energy you have Thank been you. so full of life fizzing and wonderful company for the last three four hours and you do this on a daily basis i do Thank tell us you. about What's going on inside, in your heart, in your soul, and your connection to this type of work that you do and the food? I love that you said that. Thank you so much for the massive ego boost. For me, uh, truly, every time I do these tours, I am very cognizant 
of the fact that I need to represent the cultures and the cuisines that I'm trying to showcase in the most authentic, true light that there is and to really do justice to the cuisine as well as the restaurants. Uh, so, for example, when I do the Middle Eastern tour, I am not of Middle Eastern heritage. So I have to be extra aware that I am showcasing their food in the light that they would want others to see it. And for me, that is a daily challenge. I never get bored of what I do. Every person, every guest that I serve, I always get to learn something. And I think that is really, really what keeps me going and warms my heart to this day, even after nine years. The website is fryingpanadventures.com. The general manager and our wonderful host has been Farida Ahmed. Thank you for making this a very, very special day. Thank you so much, David. Oh, good morning, David. Hi, hi, hi. It's very hot. It is. We started a little later today, um, having walked for four hours around the Indian part of Dubai yesterday. We did a fantastic tour of the hotel that we're staying in. It's a lovely hotel. We're staying in the Address Downtown Dubai, part of a chain of five or six address hotels based around the Dubai Mall and the Burj Khalifa. And the Great Fountain View. I'd call it a quiet hotel. I think it's, it's looking for the discerning visitor. A lot of the people who, who come are from Saudi Arabia and other uh, countries in this region. There's a beautiful buffet breakfast there's also a club lounge for those who want uh, we visited we didn't stay in it but we visited a couple of the lovely suites with jacuzzis on the deck with phenomenal vistas of the area we saw the pools the spa if yesterday's visit to the burj al arab was <laughs> all about glitz and glamour and gold the address is the complete opposite absolutely it is understated mm-hmm quiet peaceful aromatic there's a lovely smell around the hotel and if you are at all technical the bedrooms are just for you because you can have by your bedside a tablet that controls everything in your room and on day three i've worked out how to switch it on (laughs) anyway we left the hotel and we headed for one of the latest features in dubai a fabulous museum based in the former family homes of the al maktoum family Al Shindaga is, again, a complete contrast to yesterday's Museum of the Future. That's a very good point. I I didn't know what to expect. I thought this was going to be very much a sort of formal presentation about the royal family and so on, but that's not the case at all. It takes you, first of all, through the development of this emirate from the earliest days, and it, it gives you the perspective of thousands of years. Fascinating to know that... 100 years ago, there were only 10,000 people in Dubai. And around 50 years ago, there were around 40,000 around Dubai Creek. Um, And today, if you look at the highways that are the same width of those of Los Angeles, the the number of of cars that you're stuck in traffic, uh, you know, at peak hours... The, the, the development is just incredible. Me being a numbers man, I was watching the population growth and about every 10 years, the population doubled uh, from about 1970 to around the creek now, there are two and a half million people. Is that what you call exponential, Mark? 
Expo 2020. That was oh. day one. Oh, oh, terrible. Anyway, the museum is um, split at the moment around six houses, although the whole compound has 20 homes and bit by bit at a fair speed because this museum opened in 2019. But very, very quickly, even with COVID, they are spreading the museum through all of these uh, buildings. It's interactive, but in a very gentle way. Even though it's a historical museum, it's trying to tell history, it feels very modern inside. It's very quiet, very peaceful. There are interactive screens all around the museum and there is plenty of time to learn about the creek, to learn about perfume, to learn about traditional crafts. We, we only had time for three of the, the Absolutely. houses. I, I would definitely, next next visit, come come back, have a look at it. Very well recommended. And if we've been talking about genteel things today, like the hotel and the museum, grab hold of your seatbelts, because we're about to do something very different indeed. You weren't kidding, were you, when you said we're changing the pace? Oh. So we tried recording, travelling at 30 knots, but the wind and, to be honest, the hanging yeah, on for dear life. Yeah, the curry last night, the wind, I'm really sorry. <laughs> hanging on for dear life, we didn't get to record at speed. We're with the Yellow Boats. Theyellowboats.com, if you want to know more. Who organise these rather fun trips from Dubai Marina out past the Palms and up to the Burj Al Arab. So within 90 minutes you can take in a large number of Dubai's landmark properties. The journey starts very slowly, four knots through the marina itself where you see to both sides just a mass of construction uh, and it's amazing that some of these buildings and we're talking you know buildings that are 40 50 stories have been built within a matter of three four five years whole clusters of them as i said we started in dubai marina and we're heading back now and i thought four four knots that's an acceptable pace a bit like a paddle boat in the park and then we hit 30 knots and the boat went up and down and up and down and my camera work for those of you that are going to be looking at our Instagram page at Mark David Pod, you'll notice how awful shaky, it is. Shaky. And apparently my ears were flapping. <laughs> I just couldn't film it. But in order to reach some of those iconic scenes, the photographic moments, the palms, the artificial island that is so famous here in Dubai, you need to put your foot down on the gas to, to take it all in. Just a word of caution, if you are uh, trying the yellow boats, remember if you're pregnant, if you have a heart condition, etc., etc., this isn't for you, but for everybody else, it's a lot of fun. Uh, other than small children who have queasy stomachs. They uh, may or may not have been one child who, yes. Who regularly made a certain sound over the side of the boat. <laughs> um, just to tell you where we've been, we started in Dubai Marina, that barely existed 20 years ago. It's now side to side, 3.7 kilometers, around 2.2 miles of tower blocks, 40, 50 story tower blocks, as David said, some of them even higher, retail space, hotels, just amazing construction, and most of it built within about five years. Uh, we then carried on past the Ain, which is the Dubai Eye, a great big Ferris wheel where you can take in the views of Dubai, slowly going round on a big wheel. 
we then carried on to the end of the palms where you have the atlantis hotel the raffles hotel what's going to be i think called the royal atlantis which is about to be finished you know three or four iconic hotels at the end and the journey finishes by Jumeirah Beach, where you take in the royal houses, you take in the Burj Al Arab, where we were yesterday, and the Jumeirah Beach Hotel. And at each stop, there's a chance to have your photo taken by the crew. And that was David Harris with a three iron, slamming the ball so far left that we've <laughs> lost sight of it. Welcome to Top Golf Dubai. Uh, oh, this is absolutely fantastic. The company is great, apart from Mark. The drinks are lovely. I'm enjoying a nice pint of cider. Reminds me of the old country, the UK. Yeah, there's lots and lots of possibilities for food. So many families, young couples, all sorts of people having fun here. We're at Top Golf Dubai, which is at the Emirates Golf Club, home of the Dubai Classic European PGA event. This is a top-class golf course, and they've still led us near it. Uh, well, what's nice about this driving range? A few things. There are lots of different games that you can play than challenges. There are lots of different holes to aim for. The whole place is computerized, so the path of the ball as you strike it, if you strike it, is followed by cameras. You can then look at a screen next to you which shows you the exact flight path and how many points you scored for accuracy and for distance. The view is amazing. There are about 20 or 30 skyscrapers in front of us. So if you can really hit the ball hard, <laughs> there's a few windows to aim for. It's okay price-wise. This is a nice entertainment to bring the family to. You book ahead of time. It's very centrally located. It's near many of the other um, attractions, such as the Dubai Marina. And we're just enjoying ourselves. I think we need a genteel end to our trip. What do you think, David? Are you okay? We are about to hit Autodrome, the Formula One-style racetrack in Dubai. Having beaten David last year at karting, David has been aching for revenge. So we've upped our game from go-karts to 400 horsepower cars. BMW M2s, capable of 0-60 in quicker than you can say you're listening to the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. My name is Thomas Sorensen. I'm an instructor here at Dubai Autodrome, originally from Denmark, having lived in Dubai since 2009 and doing the, the instruction here as a, as a part-time thing. Used to race and still racing a little bit. Not much, but uh, have done the Dubai 24 hours five times and another series of endurance races around. So when we drive here, you just go as fast as you feel comfortable with. Okay. And then it's better that I try to slow you down, if okay. you will. Yeah, I'll gradually try to push you. Brake now a little bit. And then off the brake and then in. And you have to be a little bit, how can you say, more abrupt on the, on the steering wheel. Obviously. Don't, yeah, just make more sudden turns, yeah. In here. Go out to the left side, yeah? Use the full track, the width of the track. I'm feeling extremely nervous about this because the idea of going faster than 120 that I'm going at at the moment, it's kind of scary. Okay, I need to focus on braking now. 150, 160, we're getting there. Stop we, we, oh. Wait a bit. I, no, and no, 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 I've got to brake, I've got to brake. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> Is it easy to lose control? 
or for the for the car to lose control not us in this car no i i feel as an instructor this is one of i think it's one of the very best cars we ever had it's you can drive it very fast and you can drive it close to the limit and it's still very predictable are other people as nervous as me about this I, I, it's it's a very wide spectrum on, on how people are how confident and how uh, nervous people are, if you will, yeah? This vehicle is 400 horsepower. My car at home is probably 80 horsepower. Explain that in terms of the ability of a car. If, if we start with the horsepower, then of course this one is a lot faster than if, if we're driving a normal, you can say, European uh, family car. Uh, and, and, and the sensation you get when you accelerate, I mean, you can try now. This is, I t there's nothing that my car could do like this. You know they talk about zero to 60. How long does it take in this vehicle? I would imagine this car just being somewhere between around four and a half seconds, four to four and a half seconds. And I think a normally family car in Europe would be even 10, maybe 12. But I think the bigger difference, uh, apart from, from, from the horsepower and the engine power, is, is the suspension and the tires, and, and that this car has been created as a car you can use for things like this on the track, which if you take your Toyota Corolla or your whatever people are driving, it won't do that well, that's for sure. To wrap up, and then we can focus on the driving a bit more, why do you do this? I think I'd rather tell you why the clients are doing it. <laughs> And, and, and I think the clients are doing it for the same reasons as if you go to a bungee jumping or if you go in an amusement park. Uh, there is a certain element of thrill in it, uh, but, but there is also another group of clients who does it because they actually like to drive cars. And, 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 and this is a challenge that you hopefully don't give yourself out on the street. Thank you very much indeed, Thomas, for your time and for, for, for helping me through this emotional experience. You're most welcome. We would like to see you back on Dubai Autodrome. This is Mark Gordon from the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at MarkDavidPod or mail us at MarkDavidPod at gmail.com. That was incredible. Thank you so much to Thomas. A terrific experience. I got up to 210 on the straight. I was absolutely slow because I remember passing you on the second lap as you had to pull. To oh, brag, 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 brag. No, it was a wonderful experience. I thought I knew how to drive, but more like Miss Daisy. Now I know how to put my foot on the brake at the right point. Uh, watch out, Israel, because I'm going to be doing turns at 90 kilometers an hour. This has been the Autodrome. It's just outside the center of Dubai. It is so well worth a visit. So come down to Motor City in Dubai to Autodrome for driving experiences, anything from a small car to a Formula One car. <laughs> the world is not moving at 150 miles an hour past my ears anymore. It was a, a fab experience, but it was only one of many, many great moments that we've had over the past four days or so here. Yeah, it's just been amazing. I have been to Dubai once before, and I liked it before. I'm now in love with Dubai. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good recommendation. Did you have a highlight you want to point out or or you think that's not fair or um I'm not sure if I want to pick a favorite thing mm -hmm. but I I think maybe I'd like to look at what surprised us what when I came in with a preconceived idea of Dubai what was what was different and what to look out for 
And um, I know I'm probably going to steal your thunder. <laughs> uh, no, but it's nice because I think we actually agree on this. Yeah. Dubai is a glamorous city. It, mm-hmm. has, it has risen from the sand in 50 years. And there is something to do for everyone. There's somewhere to eat for everyone. There are more than 100 five-star hotels here and countless other hotels. You can really keep yourself entertained. But for me, the chance to do the food tour, to see a different part of Dubai, to see the Indian population, I think, is larger than the Emirati population in Dubai. Big time. And and to see where they live, to see where they eat, and to find those wonderful vegetarian restaurants that we went to was great. So you've absolutely stolen my thunder, of course, but you summed up everything that I was thinking as well. But all of the experiences that we've had have been great. We've done the more genteel. So I think we've got quite a few thank yous to get through. Thank you to the Department of Tourism and Commerce Marketing and especially Natalie for looking after us. And Natalie, thanks so much for taking us to the Thip Tara restaurant. Very recommended with that amazing view over the fountain display under the Burj Khalifa. Thank you to Mark and all of the team at MR Hospitality and the address Downtown Hotel and the address Fountain Views for looking after us and making us feel so welcome. And to Brian and all the team at uh, the Jumeirah side of things, which was also absolutely fab. To all the guides, to all the people at Experiences who looked after us, and especially to the people at Autodrome who kept us alive while we were driving (laughs) at ridiculous paces. Before we get to the quiz question, just a reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could give a positive review to this particular podcast in whichever podcast app you are using. If you want to get our podcast every two weeks, subscribe and it will automatically download into your podcast provider. There are 30, 31 other podcasts that you can listen to and download as well to take you all around the world. And now it's time for Mark to give you the answer to the quiz question. I asked you the name of the horse racing stable belonging to Sheikh Mohammed, the largest horse racing stable in the world, based in Dubai and headquartered in the UK. And the answer is Godolphin, named after the Godolphin Arabian Stallion, who is one of the three original thoroughbred stallions. Uh, Godolphin is an old Cornish name from England, belonging to the second oh, Earl of Godolphin. Yeah, anyway. Folks, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time, but in hopefully four weeks from now, we're going to be doing a very special additional podcast from Dubai all about the phenomenal burgeoning kosher scene here in the Emirates. Can't wait. Goodbye from both of us from Dubai. Goodbye. The Jerusalem Post podcast Travel Edition is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips.